0: You guys can be seated. <clears throat> Matt doesn't know it, but he just preached my message in in the tag of that song. I don't know if it's the bridge or the chorus. I, I I don't know music well enough to know. But in fact, I just would ask you, Nathan, real quick. This is spur of the moment, so I hope you haven't just thrown that all away. Pull that last that 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 phrase up that you know you asked your son to carry this. I, I, I want to start. I actually had a different way to start, and I'll, I'll get to it in just a second. But you asked your son to carry this the heavy cross. Uh, our weight of sin. We are here today. We're able to come and worship, not because we figured it out, but because Jesus has done this for us. I mean, we've, we've studied that all the way throughout the summer, that this is a work that God did in us and making it possible for us. And as we came to this, this time in which we were going to transition out of this series and really start looking towards the fall and, and going through the book of Ephesians, I didn't know really where to go next, and I shared that with you last week, that I struggled with what to do next, but it it makes no sense to study what we've studied all summer long and then not take time to talk about how we are called to to respond, and so from here, how do we respond? What's the right and only good response? Flip to the next one, it may be two, I don't remember how it goes. I give my life to honor this the love of Christ, the Savior King. The reality is is that everything I'm going to talk about today is not a call to religion. It's not a call to do certain things to be made acceptable. He made you acceptable. In Christ, you are a child of God. Your identity has changed. You have been given a new nature. You're no longer sinners. You are saints. You're no longer far away, but you have been brought close. You are no longer strangers, but you are citizens in the the community and, and, and members of God's family because of what Jesus has done. But what can we do now, now that the work has been done? We respond by giving it all up to honor Him. There is no better response. There is no other right response. That's it. And last week, I, I ended the message with, with giving you a, some homework, and I know I, I know how that goes because I remember homework when I was a kid, and, and, and I know that you hear homework, and you go, oh, man, and, and we just get, I don't want to really do that, but I, I gave these handouts out, and so I hope, I, I, in fact, I've been praying all week that you would just deal with heavy conviction if you didn't take some time to deal with it and do it, so if you're feeling down this week and feeling like the Lord's after you, it's because I've been praying that if you were here last week and you got this handout and you didn't do anything with it, that he would hound you by the Spirit. And I hope he did. Because it's important. It's important. But last week, as we, as we looked at this last week, it was all about looking at what we need to let go of. The reality is, is that to, to live this life that honors Christ, to give our all to honor him, there are things we have to let go of. In fact, the passage that we read from in, in Hebrew says to set aside our weights and sin so that we can run the race that he's called us to, that he's given us to run. And so we have to let go of those things. But the Christian life is not just all about letting go. So the Christian life is, is just as much, there's this flip side to that coin, the, the Christian life is about grabbing hold of what's new and what's ahead of us and what we're called to. And so today, that's really what we're going to be dealing with, is as we let go of our sin, as we let go of those things that, that hinder us in the race, what do we grab hold of? What do we do now in light of that? And, and what do we grab hold of and, and, and cling to? And so today, we're going to be in Philippians. We've got a lot to get through. I've got like 20 pages of notes, and you're here till I'm done, so just deal with it. No, it's not really that bad, but we do have a lot to get through. There's a lot to talk about, some intricate stuff we need to deal with but i just i'm just going to ask you to to bear with me this is absolutely imperative that if we're going to live this christian life it's imperative that we deal with these things so philippians chapter 2 if you've got your bible go ahead and turn there now i've put the verses up as 12 through 14 but the reality is we are going to be all over the book of philippians um and so the verses will all be on the screen they're all on the U version app our live event if you follow us on that and so they're, they're all there for you, but, but just so you know, that's, that's kind of where we're starting at. So I'm going to start reading in 12, and then we'll just move from there. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling Disputing. Now we're gonna stop there and we're gonna just start breaking this down and we're gonna look at what Paul is encouraging, not encouraging, actually commanding. Let's let's just be upfront about it. We don't have to be soft here. He is commanding Christians to do this. He says it starts with therefore. Now remember when we see what see the word therefore, we gotta stop and we gotta ask what it's there for. Therefore establishes motive or reasons for. For why he's about to say what he's about to say it connects us to the rest of his teaching But it gives us the motive or the reason for doing that Or for following through and so if we look at the verses that precede this You're going to find that they point to jesus now. They're going to be up there We're going to we're going to step back two verses and and I know you're like well Why didn't you read that first because that's just how my mind works and and you just hang with me Let's just go together. So here we are. We're looking. What's the therefore say? Well, verse 9 starts with a therefore. What what do I do? Well, we're going to ignore that one for now because it doesn't build to the context necessarily. So, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I I just want to point this out. Every knee should bow. It's not like you should do it or you better do it. It's, it's, this is going to happen. The, the reality is there's a, a certainty in this. There will come a day where every knee will bow, will be made to bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether they confessed him in life or not, it's going to come. It's going to happen. And points back to Jesus. In our passage last week, if you remember, from Hebrews, it starts with therefore. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it starts with therefore. And it points back to people whose lives and faith have demonstrated the faithfulness of God. But here it just points back to Jesus. And I think that's, I think that's significant. Because the reality is, is that we do need an example of what it is to let go of sin and wait We need examples and people's lives lived out faithfully, trusting God. We need that example. But you know what Jesus never had to do? He never had to release a sin. Jesus is perfect. He was tempted and he won, but Jesus never, he he never sinned. He never struggled with sin in that way. He struggled with temptation and he won. But he never, never walked in a place where he was sinful and was worshiping other gods and practicing idolatry of the heart where his, his uh, desires or his uh, approval or his comfort or his security, he never struggled with those things. And so it has to point back, it has to point back to people who have come in faith and whose faith has shaped them as God's faithfulness has showed up. Man, when it comes to living the life proactively, actively, that, that God has called us to, there is no better example than Jesus Christ. Don't, don't miss this. Don't, don't, don't hear me saying he's only ex- an example. Jesus is your Savior. He is your Redeemer. He is your victor. But don't miss it. He is your great example and an example to be followed. And so as Paul starts out in verse 12 and says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so obey. Now he's saying, he's saying this because of Jesus. Because of who he is. Because of what he's done. You now do this. And then he breaks it out and he says, because of Jesus. And he gives us three instructions. And they can all be summed up in one word. And that word is work. It says, work at obedience and not just when I'm looking, but but when I'm not. Work at it. Do it. Work at your salvation with the proper attitude and and work at being joyful while you're doing it. You see, these three instructions, these are going to be the really the focal point of the rest of the message. They're going to be the 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 reason we're here to learn. But remember it starts with this word, therefore, because of Jesus, because of what he's done, because of who he is, because of how he lived. Now you do this, and the first instruction he gives us that you see is because of Jesus, work at obedience if you 've had kids or or watched kids, if you 've ever acted like a kid, you probably know what this what this is like when when somebody says, "Hey, do this," and, and while they 're looking you 're all about doing that, but when they 're not looking, how, how many of your employees somewhere okay, you have an employer that pays you for a for a service, and and they expect you to do that job. How many of you, when your employer or your manager's not looking, don't do your job? Yeah, we're not going to see hands lifted on that one, are we? You see, there's a reality that we struggle with things like this, isn't there? I remember babysitting this little boy. It was some friends of, he's not in this church, so I'm not talking about any of your kids. Just saying, but my wife and I we were babysitting some friends of hers kids, and this little boy, he. Uh, I mean, he, was, he had a strong will. I think he was like three or four years old, and he already had this strong will. And I had told him that he was to eat in the kitchen and have his drink in the kitchen because you know what happens with kids with food and drink when they're that little. they get spilled. And our house ain't great. I mean, it's nice. It's nice enough. But we're going to take care of it to the glory of God because we want that house to stay and last, right? And so the reality is, kids sit on the hardwood floor. I can wipe that up easy enough. But as soon as I turned my head, and I'd, I'd still stand in there, but i turned turn my head, and he'd inch over. He's putting his foot across the line between the carpet and the hardwood. You're pushing it, you know, testing his limits. Don't we do that? Is it Paul is pointing out hey, whether I'm there or not, obedience is important. He's commanding them to obey, but but look, I I think the reality is, is that he tied it back to Jesus because the reality is Paul knows the authority doesn't ultimately belong to him. He knows that his commands are only commanded under the authority bestowed on him. Ultimate authority belongs to Jesus. Paul Paul isn't saying, obey me because I am the man. Paul's saying, because of Jesus, obey, work at it, do the work, take the effort, take the time, put forth the energy, do these things. But don't you recognize, that's not easy. I mean, let's just consider Christ's commands. In Matthew 20, uh, 22 Verse 37, he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. <laughs> that sounds impossible. Because I know what's in my heart. And I know what I love. I know what I long for in my flesh. And Paul's saying, obey it. Not as if it's an impossible dream, but as if it's really possible to do this it says because of Jesus obey commands like love your neighbor as yourself from 22:39 sometimes I don't even like my neighbor and I'm not necessarily talking about the people that live next door who is your neighbor you know when Jesus was asked that he gave the illustration of of, of just anybody you happen on and the Samaritan happens on a, a Jew. They weren't neighbors, except maybe nationally. But they didn't live next door to one another. But well, who do we love? Who are we to love more than we love ourselves? That's, we're to obey that. It's not like, it's not like the, oh, well, that's the one command that doesn't apply. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, as you live your life, as, as you go about life, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. It's another command. And There's actually two commands in that, three. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey. Help them grow up. That's exactly what Paul's teaching us here. Obey these commands, not as if they're some distant dreamer impossible to fulfill, but to obey them, to give ourselves, to do the work, to become obedient. It's not easy. It requires effort, it requires energy. I right, just think of your life. And do this, do this self-examination that I challenged you to last week as we as we went through Hebrews. How are you doing at obedience to Christ's commands? On a scale of 1 to 10, where are you? And then let me ask, if 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 you're not striving to obey, if you're not working to obey because of Jesus, what are you giving your energy to? What is it? let me go back to the handout and and let me just say this if you didn't get one of these handouts last week there's more available and i'll print more i want to help you with this i bet you'll find that you're given to something on this sheet some sort of heart idolatry something that's more important that you're more willing and more that you desire more to give yourself allegiance to why aren't we obedient well it's easier not to be right the path at least to resistance is to just kind of do what I want to do and expect his grace to fulfill my shortcoming Are, are we to continue to lump our sin upon Christ as if it's nothing that matters he calls us to work towards obedience Christians we can't work our way in we, we can't make our way into this. We can't work our way into salvation. But you are called to work to do the work of obedience. A, a Christian life is not a free-for-all. It, it's, it's an exercise of the will to bring it under submission to Jesus. Paul talks about uh, uh, beating himself and his flesh and his will into submission. That's strong language. If we went back to Hebrews, you could read the passage right after what we left off, uh, 12.3. It goes into 12.4 and it talks about the fact that we have not bled in the fight against sin. And you may not be called to bleed because Jesus did that for you, but the reality is you are called to this. Work towards obedience. You belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. You were bought at a price. You are His. Paul's saying act like it. Act like it. In a positive sense. Not about what you're letting go, but what you're grabbing hold of. Not about what you're you're walking away from, but what you're now giving yourself to. You see, if you take that microcosm, that we talked about last week as we let go of the sins, this is what the race looks like. Every day for the rest of your life, what you have repented of, what you have no longer believed in, what you have never, no longer given yourself to, what you are removing from yourself because it hinders your race, this is what the race looks like. Striving towards obedience, striving to do the work that He's called you to do, striving to submit your will under Him. And the second. Is the second command he gives us, the second thing he tells us to do because of Jesus, work out your salvation. Man, a lot of people, they get all messed up here. A lot of people think, oh, that means I got to keep myself saved. I got to keep making God love me. I got to keep figuring out a way to, to hold his acceptance, to hold his attention. That's been done. I think the context is clear. This is not about making your way into salvation or making yourself remained saved. In fact, this letter is people who are saved based on Jesus. You can, you can see it all the way through the letter, but just let me share with you some verses. Philippians one one it says that the letter is addressed to the saints in Christ Jesus. Paul's not writing to lost people. He's not writing to seekers. He's not writing to people who are on... The, the cusp? Who's he writing to? The church at Philippi, the saints in Christ Jesus, those who have been made holy already. In fact, if you want to know just for your own edification, the word saint is the same as the word holy. See, as a saint, you are one who's made holy by God. Philippians 1.6 Paul points out that the work of Jesus has been done in them and it will be completed by him. There's no part of this race or this work that you do that secures you in salvation or that keeps you acceptable before God. Jesus started that work and he'll finish that work. Philippians 1.7, Paul refers to these people, these these christians these saints in philippi as partakers of grace they are people who received god's grace there's no doubt in this letter there's no doubt in the context that, that, that paul is trying to say now at some level you have to figure this out and work it out but i think what he what he highlights here and what he shows us here is that there's two perspectives two pieces of the salvation equation that we need to consider This is going to get this. I know for some of you, you are going to be like, "Man, I just wish he'd move on from this." But the reality is, you need to hear these doctrinal terms and you need to understand what they mean. The first is justification. It's a judicial term that that refers to not being condemned for our guilt. Now, we know we're guilty. In fact, if you go out on the street, you won't find it difficult to get people to admit that they're sinners, because all of us lie, all of us have hurtful thoughts towards other people. All of us would prefer, and there's, this, you can get lost people to do this, it's not, it's not a, a, a fundamental thing that Christians understand and nobody else does. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that we've admitted that we can't save ourselves and we needed a Savior. We're the same sinner as they are, and we're incapable. we finally figured out we are unable to, to overcome it by ourselves. But it's a judicial term that refers to not being condemned for our guilt. We, we know we're guilty. And just as, as the gavel of judgment was about to fall, Jesus steps up and says, wait, wait, wait. He's innocent. I did that. That's my sin. That's my guilt. He's really innocent. You see, the the the, 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 the prosecution had won their case. You're guilty. But Jesus in your defense stands. He's innocent. I committed those sins. I'm responsible for those sins. He's clean. He's white as snow. You see, that's the first piece. That's the first piece we see. That's why why Paul pushes this back to Jesus. Because of Jesus. Because of what he's done. You are justified. You're clean. You're free. You, You have no guilt. You're innocent. You walk out of the courtroom, courtroom, Scott, free. And no condemnation is ever going to touch you again because you have Jesus. But then the second piece of that is that sanctification is the process of making your declared innocence a reality. Jesus declared you innocent. And now he says... Act like it. Act like it. Be innocent. It's your part of the the puzzle to fill in. It's your your responsibility to do. See, even after we sin, we've struggled. Even after we've been saved, we struggle with sin, right? I mean, let's be honest. We can come up in here and put on our Sunday go-to-church faces and act like we don't have any struggles in life. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's A man sitting in this room that looked at porn this morning. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a woman sitting in this room who's not satisfied with her husband but really appreciates the way somebody at work treats her. I wouldn't be surprised. Not because I think so little of you. Because I, I, I think God's doing great things among us. Don't hear me belittling you. It's just the reality of who we are the depths of our depravity. And I, I confess my depravity last week. I stood in front of you all and I confess the fact that there's a part of me that would, would rather you follow me as pastor than anything else. I don't care if you glorify Jesus in, in, in that part of who I am. I don't care if you like him. I want you to like me. Is that not the depths of depravity? Let's take those faces off. Let's let's take off those disguises. But don't, don't just revel in your sin as you do it. Oh, I'm sinful. Just accept me and love me. Walk in innocence, brother. Be innocent, sister. Be the person God's created you to be. It's your responsibility to do that. Justification and sanctification. And here's some things. He he gives us some caveats. He gives us two caveats in this phrase. He says, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, justification always precedes sanctification, but sanctification is no less important. That's what that whole phrase, that, that phrase fear and trembling means. This is something of vital importance and should come as a natural reaction. I'm afraid of spiders. I don't really like people knowing that because they tend to throw spiders on me. I really don't care if you know it, but I just don't want you to throw spiders on me. Right, Matt? Yeah, brother. He's afraid of spiders, too. It's a crazy thing. I don't get it. But anyway, that's that's another story for another time. But here's the thing. When I get next to a spider or I get in a web, you know what I do? I jerk back, man. I don't want anything to do with it. My kids, my, me and my sons, Cameron and Tristan went hiking one year. And I don't know what I was doing walking first down the trail. I don't ever walk first down. I don't want to walk first down the trail. We were the first people it was early morning. We had camped out along the way. Walking through. And I get this web. And I see this spider out of the corner of my eye. Man, I jumped. And I was like, all right. I got you. I was like, I was gonna karate chop this spider. They laughed at me. Oh man, they laughed at me for to the rest till, the, till we got to the waterfall where we were headed. I felt like an idiot. But that fear within me, it moved me to act immediately to preserve myself. Right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This should be the natural reaction. I am so scared to death of what's on the other side. I'm so scared to death to not do this that I'm jerking away from it. You see, we got to keep the justification first. If we don't keep justification first, it's like sweeping dirt off a dirt floor. But this sanctification is important. And we should run from it like people running from wild beasts. We have to run towards Christ and His innocence. We should be jerking away and pulling back from anything that's not of Him with fear and trembling and that implies the great importance of this part of the process. Don't miss it. But I think it's the unfortunate reality that in our culture, this is the part of the process that we tend to downplay. It's the very reason Paul wrote his words in Romans 6. Should we just revel in sin so that grace may abound? Absolutely not. By no means. There's no, there's no greater way for him to say no without cussing. To emphasize this point, absolutely not. We have to do this. It, it is of prime importance. The second caveat he gives us is that for it is God who works in you. In justification, we are recipients of God's grace. But in sanctification, we are active participants by God's grace. You see the difference? See, in, in justification, all we could do was receive. We couldn't do anything. We're sinners, lost, incapable. We're, 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 the, we're, the, we're the person that's stuck in the burning building that, that's under the, 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 the beams that are burning around them, and we can't get out. We're guilty and there's nothing we can do to, to prove our innocence. Jesus comes in and, and sheds on us God's grace and we are just recipients. But in sanctification, we are active participants by God's grace. And, and let, me, let, me, let me show you how that works out because the work that we do It's not a work that we do by ourselves, but it's the work that's being done in us that we let show outside of us. It's taking taking what God is doing in us and allowing it to be seen outside of us. And and here's the thing is that this is not the only place that Paul makes that reference or infers that in in this letter. In fact, it's all the way through the letter. All the way through, and the first place I saw it, or I came to it, maybe you could find some others, but the thing that popped into my head was suffering for Jesus' name. Philippians 129 says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. You've been given a gift, maybe not one you expected, maybe not one you always enjoy, But God gave you the gift of faith, and that worked out in you. And he gave you the gift of suffering for Jesus' name. It's not suffering for suffering's sake. It's not like you can go out and, oh, man, I need to suffer some more. And so you hammer your finger. Oh, that's suffering. No, there's something important here. It's suffering for Jesus' name. And suffering for Jesus' name is a gift just like the the, the gift of faith. It it means that along with believing, along with believing in him, trusting in him for your salvation, you will be ridiculed. You will be persecuted. You will be rejected. You will be laughed at, passed over for for promotion, lose a job, or whatever other unpleasantness may come as a result of your living faithfully, you will suffer. Oh, well, we live in a Christian nation. I want you to ask. In fact, I would encourage you to do this. I don't know if he would answer. But reach out to the guy that owns Chick-fil-A and tell me he didn't suffer for his perspectives. Now, whether you agree with him or not, that's irrelevant. He was acting out of what he would say is his Christian faith. And a nation stood against him. Again, whether you agree with him or not, it doesn't matter. He suffered for his faith how 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 about how about how we act when we're at work i mean really do we really live a christian witness i know it's a difficult world we live in i know that there are rules we're expected to follow i know i get it totally understand but part of this process is suffering for Jesus's name and it's ours to do in fact it's the gift of God that you have been given you don't just get to believe you get to suffer for him somebody give me a cheer for that yeah suffering no probably not but it's his word it's his promise it goes on, and later he says, he says another way that we work out of the work that God's doing in us is calling ourselves or humbling ourselves, and maybe a better way to say it, humbling ourselves. Philippians 2, 3 through 5 says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Now, if we stopped right there, this would just sound like, oh, any other command. Just do it. But the beauty is is that we're called to work out of the work that God is doing in us. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you have been saved, you have been given a nature of humility. I mean, think about this. The, The two perspectives that he lays out, considering what other people want, instead of just what you want this especially becomes important i, I watched this and I, i've watched this i'll just say this and to you whether whether you, they're ready for me to say it or not as i've watched and and tested those guys that are standing and, and striving to be elders when they make decisions and when they when they talk about what we ought to do for the church you know one of the things i'm listening for is that they're not just trying to get their way or what's best for their family I'm trying to understand that their motives are what's best for the church. But it's not just the elder's responsibility to do that. You know whose responsibility it is to do that? Every Christian. How many of us are good at considering others' needs alongside ours? You know what? The thing is, is it's not just alongside ours because that, that that phrase sounds like that, but the phrase before that kind of puts it in light. Puts it in a new light. Consider others more significant. You know what that means? You matter less to yourself than the person sitting next to you. The people on this side of the church matter less to yourselves than the people on this side of the church and the same vice versa. It's not that you're not important. It doesn't remove value in you. It's about an attitude that you're called to live in. See, humility is natural for those who have been saved by Jesus. It's natural for us, not because we can do it on our own, but because He's worked it out in us already, because He's given us this mind to do this. It's the natural instinct, the natural part of the Christian life, but it is our responsibility. To make it a priority. As you're releasing your sin and your selfish desires and those weights that in, inhibit you and, and hinder you from running the race, grab hold of this. Humble yourself. Consider others more significant. Consider their needs and their interests. And in another place, past chapter 2, it goes into chapter 3, It says, or in chapter 4, he says, Pursue hope. Sorry, not chapter 4 chapter 3 philippians three, thirteen through 15 he's talking about pursuing hope and striving in confidence brothers i do not consider that i have made it my own but one thing i do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead i press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of god in christ jesus why does he press on not because of his own desire or his own will but in response to the call, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are mature think this way also. When we come to faith, we're not mature. We're babies. We're infants. And we need to be taught. And there's some of you that need to grow up from that place. But as you mature, this is the mind that he calls you to. Press on toward the goal confidently strive for your resurrection that resurrection's already been won it's already been it's already been promised it's as certain as if you just got checkmate in in chess and you don't even have to move your piece it's done but yet paul says i strive i press on toward the goal because of that call because of the work that god is doing in me I bring it out to let it be seen. And then number three, he says, because of Jesus, work without complaining. If there's anyone that's walked the face of the earth that had a right to complain, I think it was Jesus. You see, Jesus stepped out of heaven and he came to earth. In fact, if you go back to the beginning of Philippians chapter 2 and go back even further than verse 9, where we read before, it talks about the fact that he, he, he took on a new nature. You see, Jesus... Is a king, but he took on the form of a servant. Jesus is God, but he made himself to be the likeness of man. And he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. I, I just imagine if I was doing that, I'd be kicking and screaming all along the way. The closest Jesus got to complaining was was kneeling in the garden before his father. If this cup can pass, let it be. But not my will, yours be done. It's the closest thing we have to a complaint. Even as he was beaten and ridiculed and spit upon and made fun of and teased as a king. And they pressed those crown of thorns on his head. And then they nailed him to the cross. He never once cried out. Instead, when they raised him up, he looked at them and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. <laughs> not once but it takes work not to complain doesn't it and paul says do all of this without grumbling do it all without complaining because of jesus work without complaining but what happens at work what happens when we go to our place of business and you get more responsibility and no more pay what happens when you cook a meal for your spouse and they get home late and it's cold what happens when you don't get the recognition that you believe you deserve? What happens when life gets difficult? You're not just complaining to other people, then you're complaining to God. What do I, what do, I do to deserve this? What happens when someone makes a decision that you don't like? The grumbling is natural to our old nature, but it has no place among those of us that have been made new. See, this is, the, this is the life we're called to. We set that junk aside the sins and the weights that hinder, set them aside and grab hold of a life of humility, a life of obedience, a life without grumbling and complaining. The grumbling, at the, at the bottom of it all, grumbling identifies what we really want and what we really love. And so don't just forget your grumbling. Pay attention to your grumbling and look at it Why you grumble. And then set that down and hold on to Jesus. The work we've been given to do is worthwhile. It's good, godly work with God honoring outcomes if we're grumbling while we're doing it what's it say about the work or what we think of the work what's it say about what we think of this life a life that you've been given not that you deserved, not that you earned not that you really had a part to play in other than believing and even that is a gift. What's it say? You want to know what's below your, your, your grumbling? If you didn't do it. Or you didn't get one. You get this handout. You start asking these questions. What makes me angry? What makes me grumble? What makes me afraid? What is it that I want most? See, you're grumbling. It's going to point it out. It's going to identify it. But look, behind this work, because of Jesus, we do all of this for one glorious reason. Let me just close with this verse, Philippians 2, 15. I'm just going to read it all together. Let me just read it all together. Therefore, my beloved, start in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now because of Jesus obey, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Because of Jesus, work out your salvation. Do all things without grumbling or disputing because of Jesus. Do not grumble. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. One glorious reason. You see what happens when we, when we begin to live this way. When, when we do the work to do these things, we're like a match in a dark room. You strike a match in a dark room, and boy, it draws attention to the match. But it also illuminates the person that's holding that match. Jesus got you. He lit you. He wants you to burn brightly. And you can count on this, that as you burn for him, people will see him. You see, the work that we've been given to do, Because of Jesus has eternal value. It matters. It's important. Not just for you. But for the twisted and crooked generation we live in. We're tangible examples of the grace of God. God has justified you. He calls you to sanctify. Yourself to to walk with him in this process. Christians. Christians. Jesus saved you. Now act like it. Let's pray. God, you're good. You're gracious. We, are, we know we're indebted to you. We know that there's no way that we can make up for the price you paid for us, that we are simply recipients. But God, would you encourage us? Would you help us to live this out, to respond in kind Would you help us to to run this race, to walk this path, to live our lives because of Jesus, in honor of Jesus. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.